Welcome to In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In the Know, where Mason and I are bringing you a very special episode where the Pelicans have won their first ever playing game that they also got to host coincidentally. And now they're headed out to L.A. to play in yet another single elimination game and hopefully try to make the playoffs. Mason, man, how are you doing? Did you watch the game? I'm assuming you did. Silly question by me. <laughs> how are you doing? Yeah, I, uh, of course. Uh, it was, uh, you know, nothing uh, late, late enough for sure not at 9.30 Eastern, but I definitely definitely watched it. I really want to tell people that we recorded this um, during the day yesterday, just like so confident that the Pelicans would win, would win this game that we just, you know, went out and said it beforehand. Um, but, uh, not, not the case, but still, I, I'd say beyond a little bit of a scare in the fourth quarter, a pretty, pretty convincing, uh, win despite some foul trouble for Brandon Ingram, it's, it's gotta leave you a little, at least if, if there was a, um, you know, thinking about how this leads into the next game, I, I would say this has to leave fans feeling fairly optimistic, right? They didn't just skate by, uh, against a team that they clearly have more talent than. Absolutely. The Pelicans, in my opinion, uh, handled it steadily in the beginning and then they kind of started to get some separation in that second quarter uh and then increased the lead a little bit up to up to almost 20 was it 20 plus at one point i I forget what the actual lead was but it was a significant lead um in the third and you're right there was that stretch of like five minutes or so where they just couldn't score but all in all they were in control they were they didn't panic they didn't force things in my opinion and they kind of played their brand of basketball yeah, I mean, you can. It, it, it felt good. It's it has been rare for the, to feel like as a Pelicans fan that the the Pelicans had the more veteran team uh, in any sort of playoff settings. Really, since they've been in New Orleans, that's that, that's been a little bit uncommon. Um, but that I mean, they, they felt like the more composed team. Um, I mean, I, I, I'll credit Herb Jones just totally disrupting Dejounte Murray as part of that. But I feel like you could you kind of see the influence that CJ is having on this on this uh, roster up and down. So. Um, really, you know, the, the confident feeling was something that I think maybe Pelicans fans aren't really used to, even if the last, the last time they won a playoff series in Portland, I feel like even after the Pelicans went up 2-0 in Portland, you still felt like, well, Portland's going to get this together, right? Um, and I mean, they didn't, but still, there wasn't that that confident feeling uh, that, you know, it, from my recollection until I guess they went up 3-0, but um, that definitely, you know, I, I feel like, the Pelicans, you know, set set the standard in the first quarter, uh, and and really made fans feel like this is they're going to take care of business. Yeah, I, I it was really impressive showing by them. I want to zoom out a little bit. So you you got to watch this on TV. I want to get your impressions of what your experience was watching on the broadcast and and how the atmosphere in the crowd is coming through to you. And then, you know, we can talk about it, what it was like uh, with boots on the ground. Yeah, for sure. It was, uh, it, it definitely felt, 
uh, felt like a playoff game. Um, I, I think the, you know, ever, the, the fans are all wearing red, the, the, the stands were packed. Um, it was interesting, um, you know, uh, uh, kind of an opposite situation from what you saw in the game right before in Atlanta. Uh, I mean, that, that, that stadium <laughs> just before tip, there was a lot of empty seats. And, but that, and, and then you get to the New Orleans game, a typically late arriving crowd. Obviously, the game being at 8.30 probably helped a little bit. The pregame party definitely helped. But the fans were ready. They were ready for this game. Um, New Orleans shows up in a do-or-die situation for sure. Um, and, and so it was it was really, really cool to watch. I mean, I, I had the, not just the TV. I had a chance to kind of, you know, scroll through Twitter and see some videos that, that people were posting as, as the game was kicking off. And it, uh, it was, I mean, you, you could tell the atmosphere in, in that, in that arena was, was awesome. But I, mean, what was, what was your experience like there? Well, first of all, uh, the, the boot crew media folks and propel stock had a pregame, um, pregame, pregame <laughs> at the rusty nail. And they had a little, they had a live show where they brought on, uh, Chris Connor, five Lido, uh, Kenny Murphy, who's Trace Murphy's dad. Um, they had Jake up there. They had a, a couple other folks. And and let me tell you, the Rusty Nail was packed. And I talked about how like Mid City Yacht Club was packed a while back, but like I was, it's it's typically like hard to find parking in that area anyway because you're in the CBD right at the end of um, uh, end of the workday. But it was impossible to find parking anywhere near there. And then as you're walking the couple blocks away um, to, to the Rusty Nail, there's like Pelican fans decked out in gear all over the place. And like just my walk there, everyone's like, yo, uh, it's packed. Like you're not going to find a seat. You want to get in there early. Like you're probably going to want to be outside. It's, it is unbelievably packed. And then, you know, as soon as you start approaching it and the Rusty Nail comes into view and legitimately there's like hundreds of people outside and then inside it's just like shoulder to shoulder, just absolutely no walking room whatsoever, but they had a little nice setup there. So shout out to like Justin and them for, for, you know, organizing all of that and being able to like just execute a live show in the midst of all the craziness. But um, it was, it was great there. And after we did that um, went to the arena and like you said, typically it's one of those things where people are still showing up at the first quarter and, and things will settle down as they get first second quarter, but no, like from the, like, the national anthem and introductions like the whole arena was pretty much packed from the get-go and uh, the crowd was great every you know like every single play that the pelicans made they were they were losing it and then obviously like whenever jose would check in they would start chanting uh jose's name uh, at every opportunity um and and it was great you know we got some refs you suck chants we got beat la chants and it all in all it was just really it's always a cool visual when they do the red out, in my opinion, that's the best thing they do, but they did it back with the Warriors. They did it with the Blazers. They did it actually for Zion's first game. Um, that's still to me, the best visual that they create whenever, whenever they're anticipating selling out the arena, but just, just to see like the excitement from everybody and just to see the city show out like that was unbelievable. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's great. I, 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 I even, I can only, I guess the last time, so the last time I was living in New Orleans during a playoff run for the Pelicans, which is crazy. Um, it was the last Hornets team that went to the playoffs. And I even remember like we did, we did Hornets 24 seven watch parties and, and, and like uptown New Orleans. And that was, that was fun, but it was like almost like a, a novelty. It was like, yeah, we got like 
15, 20 people out there. And, and, you know, it was a, it was, it was a good time, but it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't a, a, like a rallying cry around the Pelicans team. And it wasn't, we didn't have packed houses or anything. And so to hear, to hear and see that going on in the city um, for the, for this team, a team that's, you know, <laughs> that finished season with a losing record. Um, it just gives you so much, uh, you know, inspiration and, and optimism for what this team can become and, and the foothold it can still take uh, in, in the city of New Orleans. And so um, it's a basketball town and more and more people are going to realize it. Yeah, I said the same exact thing, uh, you know, when, when they used to do the watch parties out at Tracy's, like those are good, right? Don't get me wrong. Those are good. Even Eric Gordon showed up to one of those. But uh, this is something on another level. And it kind of goes back to like, before the season, I talked about how this franchise and this organization really has not held up its end of the bargain to the fans, right? It's not rewarded their investment and their time and commitment in the form of winning or just like community community participation. And, and to see this take a complete 180 as the season progressed has been really impressive. And, and I don't want to give all the flowers to the franchise. I think the real galvanizing force behind this are the fans. Um, it's the people like Rel. It's the people like that are part of the Pels 12. Uh, it's the people that are going out and being loud on every single platform. Uh, you jumping into Lakers spaces, jumping into literally anybody. It's like it's New Orleans versus the world. And those are the people who, who held strong throughout the lows and, and really became the, the galvanizers of all of this when um, the team started getting good. And so it just kind of shows you like this is the power of the fans and organizations need to kind of remember that the NBA needs to remember that the players need to remember that. And I'm not, I'm not saying this in any kind of like threatening way. It's just, it's just the reality where like, this is what drives success. And this is what um, makes your business a successful venture. This is what cuts everyone's checks. And it's nice, you know, it's, so it's nice from when these entities remember that this is where the power lies and, and this is, this has the opportunity to kind of like make and break things. And so shout out to the Pelicans fans. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, that's, that's where the lion's share of the credit belongs. Uh, I think it's also really cool to have a team that's so likable. I mean, you look at, I, I think back to the Blazers, the, the Blazers sweep and you had that iconic photo <laughs> with Nurkic and AD and Drew Holiday. And that was like, that, that was, I don't know, I don't really have how to say it, but it, it's, it, there just wasn't, the team hadn't had the, the vibes of, you know, everyone loving each other and everyone just being, pulling each other up, lifting each other up. And, and like that, that stuff rubs off on the fans when the players all, you get that, you know, that feeling of chemistry from, from the team itself. And I feel like past, you know, even past successful New Orleans teams didn't really have that the way they have it this year. Uh, and so again, obviously some of those past teams were better in the win loss column, but I think you're seeing something start to grow here and, and you know, obviously credit to Willie green, but credit to the players as well. I mean, and in the front office for getting the right group of guys together, it took a little while, but it certainly feels like they finally have that trajectory of uh, you know, moving upward of not just the talent, but the right people in, in the organization. So um, again, uh, you know, it's, it's really, uh, really, really great to see all the way around. Yeah, and, and really, I think one of the big stories from this Pelican seasons from a fan support perspective is that the 
the city and everyone around it in the region and anyone that's a Pelicans fan anywhere else, like shout out Charles flying all the way from Denver um, to, to watch this and the flying out at a 5am flight. Um, you know, it, it shows that this is a group of people that are bigger than um, bigger than any one thing. You know, people talk about how stars are the ones that drive uh, views and ratings and all of that. And I think, this season more than anything has proved that yeah like that's still true in the nba but you don't need that if you take the right approach if you don't need that if you commit as an organization um towards getting better you don't need that if you bring in likable people uh into your city and and you can do a lot with with a lot less than than just one megastar and i think too often teams kind of cater to the the megastar and and just bend over and do whatever needs to happen. They, they do it at the expense of fans. And in my opinion, that's something that the organization has done previously uh, with Anthony Davis. They've done it previously with Zion. And, and I think this year, again, it's just been a massive improvement on, on the fan engagement front. So that's huge. It's huge to me. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, te- teaming up, I, I think. Then rather than, you know, you, you saw in past cases, they, they, you know, they didn't do a ton. And when they did do things, it was trying to be, they were trying to be the, you know, the, the, the answer or the, the, you know, the only, I don't know, the only game in town, so to speak. But um, I I think now they're embracing this fact that they owe the organic fan driven, um, you know, parties and things like that. I think even over the course of the season, you've seen a little bit of a change. And so, um, you know, I think the team has kind of realized that there's going to be, need to be a mindset shift and they're starting to do that. And if you can collaborate with fans and, and kind of be partners and, and, and feel like a team, then you're going to really drive uh, the best result in the long run for everyone. Absolutely. And so, you know, um, I think we can now, talk about the, the game itself a little bit and just, you know, you had a couple thoughts on the, on the rotations and, and stuff. I saw you tweeting about it last night um, in general. Let's talk about the rotations. Let's talk about the matchups where you, you, know, you had some thoughts last night. Are you still in that boat? Have you, have you changed your mind a little or where are you at? Yeah. I mean, hindsight's 2020. I still, I, I I'm still a little bit, stressed about what his, what Willie Green's rotations as far as how deep he went to the bench uh what it might mean for for the next game against Clippers but um you know maybe maybe Willie was just so confident in the Pelicans taking care of business against the Spurs a team that they were legitimately more talented than so like if you put those two rosters together um and you take the fact that DeJounte Murray clearly wasn't wasn't quite 100 percent I mean it's it's reasonable to think the Pelicans should have won the, that game running away um but I, 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 my, I guess my point was that you've got to treat these games as a, these do or die games, like everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And that's where I was a little bit uh, confused about really going, going to a 10 man rotation. And so I think credit to Najee, because that was the one where I was really confused, but Najee, Najee did really, really great job when he was out there. Um, and, and, and so d- didn't, didn't really hurt, hurt the Pelicans. Um, but, but that was really where I was at was at a game like this, Go and, and we talked a little bit about what the rotation should look like on our last podcast. And maybe maybe the finger pointing should be more on Devontae Graham than at than Najee. But I was just kind of I was I was fairly surprised to see us go 10 deep in a in a, in a winner go home type game. I mean, what, what were your thoughts? I'll be honest, I blacked out during the Najee minutes. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I have it. no idea when he was on the floor, what he did. I don't remember a single possession. 
I was just, you know, I was just too lost in the moment. I was just yeah, in the stand. I, I had no idea when he was on the floor. And I looked up and I'm like, oh, he has six points and five rebounds. That's cool. When did he play? <laughs> <laughs> and and so, you know, I my my opinion and on four this four fouls like, too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, four fouls. That's productive uh, little seven minutes or however many minutes he played. Um, but my my opinion is that like one, you aren't going to enter this situation without playing Devonte. You just work. And so I thought, I thought the way they would approach Devonte, and I'm very pleased with how they did it, is that if he comes out and he makes like two or three like threes right out the gate, okay, he's he's in, he's he's staying. But otherwise, you know that the you know like Popovich called a timeout to kind of discuss how to like attack Devonte, and yeah. and and credit to Willie Green, he he recognized really quickly. Um, that this is not really the matchup where we can play him. And Jose was hitting his shots. You know, maybe it was a little bit different if in Jose's minutes he didn't hit those shots initially um, and, and the Pelicans weren't doing what they did and they didn't go on that run they did in the second quarter. But I, I think that the adjustment was very quick. There was no fooling around with Billy Hernan Gomez's minutes. Um, you know, Larry Nance wasn't fantastic, but even then he didn't play all that many minutes. They, they rode Jonas as much as they could. They, they – um, you know, they try to play Jackson a little bit, who again didn't have a, a productive scoring night, but he he got himself on the glass, was just a large human. I'm very glad that they went to to Trey as much as they did 20, 22 minutes, 23 minutes. Uh, Trey didn't score as well as you know, we you'd want him to, he didn't hit a single three, but that in that run that where, where CJ was just going off happened because of the spacing. Uh, Trey provides and that, and that unit provided right. and and CJ was a lot of playing single coverage for the first half because of all that spacing and he was you know he had 17 drives and and you could see in the second half and pop came out they started trapping him those uh those touches went away but they turned into dunks and easy looks for Jonas because uh they were sending two to the ball and Jonas had a free free roll down to the rim and so um I I, I for the most part thought Willie Green did a good job of the rotations and, and Najee probably doesn't get those minutes if B.I. isn't in foul trouble, right? You know, finishes the night with 29 minutes uh, played. He could probably play 40 if he isn't in foul trouble. So I, you know, I, I think that I'm, I'm very pleased with that. I am still a little bit apprehensive going into the Clippers game, just knowing that um, I guess we can talk about the Clippers game in yeah. a second, but yeah, yeah, it's a little bit apprehensive going in there. Yeah, yeah, and, and and to be clear, I uh, I gave I would if it was hanging out grades for for Willie Green. I I think in the first half it was probably about a B, and in the second half was a plus. I mean, I thought I thought he really like you said he he made corrections quickly. He, he the, the playing Jose in the in the starting lineup and for Jack for Jackson was fantastic. I think that I think it worked out incredibly well. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like he made all the right moves in the second half. Um, and obviously the, the Pelicans, it, it coincided with Pelicans having a little bit of a rut in the, in the early fourth quarter, but I don't think I, you know, I wouldn't have done anything differently uh, from a, from a rotations perspective in that, in that second half. And I, and, you know, um, but, but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, so I, I, at first I was a little, a little bit concerned when I saw was when I saw them go 10 deep in the first half, but um, the sec, I mean, second half is a totally different story. And so it, it's, it's just great to see him, I feel like we're seeing Willie Green, the coach, mature throughout the season, just right before our eyes. I mean, he's 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 getting more comfortable and in, in ha- having quicker triggers. I mean, it's a kind of microcosm of the season with Garrett Temple, right? Um, and then as the season went on, uh, you know, he he got more comfortable, like t- making what maybe you know difficult personnel-related decisions. These are people; these are human beings, and it's hard to hard to make those decisions when it costs people minutes who you who you may like. And so, um, again, g- good to see him adjusting so quickly. 
Um, and it's going to, like you said, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens against Clippers tomorrow night. Yeah. I mean, I, I came into the game um, less apprehensive about DeJounte uh, Murray because I knew Herb was going to be on him, but also he's his game. Like he's not going to light you up from three. And as long as you can contain him on drives uh, and just force him into mid range shots, he's a talented mid range shooter and he likes those shots, but you know, Pelicans can win playing, you know, exchanging twos for twos. Um, that's, it's, that's it's the Pelicans though. So DeJounte could certainly light up the Pelicans just because it's, it's, it's us. Right. <laughs> and some right. random dude will get hot. Right. I was, I was worried about Jakob Pertl, uh, to be honest, that was, that was my big one. And I thought that Jonas would have trouble just because of the amount of pressure that DeJounte would apply, that they would kind of had to use Jonas to, to help out with those drives. And then Jakob would just feast on the backside and, and credit to the Pelicans there, their low man rotations were really good. And Herb Jones just blew everything up everywhere all the time. Just, you know, like there were moments where I thought like Herb would come and smack the drink out of my hands. And then those leads just from where he was <laughs> just a quick break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, not even a quick break. He'll just like reach out from the court, uh, like 70 feet. Up, I don't know how many feet up we are and just smack the drink out of my hand and be like, all right, bro. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where, where, I, I thought that, you know, this can't be a game where the Pelicans get into a three-point shootout and it can't be a game where they allow some role players to go off. And, and De- De- Devin Vassell did hit a lot of threes, but that was really the only guy. And, you know, after those, because um, he hit like three consecutive threes in the corner at one stretch. And I think they, they adjusted. Afterwards, they adjusted on that. They called the timeout, I think, and they adjusted on that. So that disappeared. But Everyone else, man, they, the, the Pelicans role players stepped up in, in a way that the team needed and, and the Spurs role players just didn't. This episode is brought to you by Monday.com Work OS. Injuries can limit a player's time in the game. A lack of experience can limit them from getting recruited. And COVID breakouts can limit your best team from getting on the field. But limits aren't limited to sports. There's a lot that can make us feel limited at work, too. Walls that make it hard to truly show up and do our best work. Siloed information. Lack of transparency. Rigid work software. That's why there's Monday.com, the customizable work software that helps you work without all those limitations. Departments of any size and organizations from any industry rely on Monday.com to build, run, and scale all their workflows. With Monday.com, teams have a unified platform where they can gain insights from each other and work better together. With everyone gaining visibility into each other's work, people at all levels can get clarity into where progress stands, and everyone knows what's up without having to constantly check in. Leave your limits behind and discover what you can accomplish with Monday.com. To start your free 14-day trial, go to Monday.com slash podcast. For sure. I mean, you can't, you, you, you can't say enough good things about Herb Jones. And I was so, so excited to see him play that level that well on that big of a stage. Cause it, I mean, it was a big stage. I mean, people are, people are watching these, these playing games um, like, like it's March Madness almost. And so uh, seeing him play that well um, defensively and just how incredibly he basically executed every part of Mike Prada's uh, article about, about him. Um, it was, it was, it was really a, a, per, a perfect storm. And, and he, he just, he made the game so much tougher for the entire Spurs offense. And when one player could have that kind of impact by himself, I mean, this, this guy's the limit defensively for this, for this guy. Uh, and it's we're <laughs> lucky to have him on our team. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So um, looking, 
ahead a little bit to the next game, the LA Clippers. They just lost a tough one in Minnesota where they basically spent uh, most of the game controlling it uh, and kind of stiff arming Minnesota, mm-hmm. stiff arming, stiff arming, stiff arming. And then Carl Anthony Towns fouls out and um, this, this uh, glue lady thing happens on the sideline and, and uh, <laughs> unrelated to the fouling out. Um, and, and then the Wolves take over. And essentially, Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell kind of put the, the Clippers away. And uh, we've, we've seen that story play out um, against the Pelicans when Towns fouls out. And then Nas Reed is, is someone that ends up putting a hurt on the Pelicans. And then the guards kind of like do what they need to do uh, to put the Pelicans away. And, and I think that's exactly what happened with the Clippers. Not that Towns isn't a fantastic player. It's just it kind of put the hands, the ball in the hands of two very dynamic um, perimeter players. And with Anthony Edwards, they didn't have a single player who could stick in front of him and when he's hitting threes the way he was hitting them um and you have to respect this mm-hmm. jumper good luck because he's going to take one step and dunk on like there's there's no there's no coverage there um especially with the uh the clippers doing the switch everything and we're just going to kind of like play it in single coverage okay he's going to blow like he's going to blow past everybody uh, nick batum good luck you're old as dirt mm-hmm. Marquis, is it mark is it marcus Morris or Marquis on the team <laughs> marcus <laughs> marcus okay um yeah good luck you're not you're not staying in front of me Edwards. and then when there's no rim protection there okay yeah it, it, you're done you're cooked and so that you know that was one area where i was surprised tightly didn't go back to zubach when after towns was fouled out um but you know at the same time their their small unit kind of been liberating people uh, forever even going back to last playoffs when they lost Kawhi and the paul george team ran past uh utah um, and now they have Norman Powell too to add, add to the level of scoring, but Reggie Jackson didn't, didn't have a good night. So looking ahead to the Pelicans game, I always thought that the Clippers were a worse matchup than the Wolves, uh, mainly because of, of the style they play when they go small and then they switch everything. And, and lastly, the three-point shooting is just incredible. And that's not a team that I think the Pelicans can keep up with in a three-point contest. Um, however, you know, I, I think – I think that the Pelicans have enough scoring on their own with Ingram and uh, and CJ in this, in these kind of situations where they do have to play one on one when the Clippers switch to at least make this interesting. Yeah, um, I I agree with you. I was I, I was kind of waffling uh, even up into the game on who who I'd rather play, but uh, but I was leaning slightly towards preferring the, the the Timberwolves, which is, you know, it's interesting because the, the Pelicans played well against the Clippers this year. And even earlier in the season, Paul George, they played against Paul George and they beat him. Um, but the last, I mean, the last game, given there was the clear LA hangover for the Pelicans, even, even so, I mean, it was a um, road trip too. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, you're, I think your concerns are well-placed. I, I think that the, the Pelicans are, do, do not match up as well with the Clippers as they would have messed up with, with the Timberwolves. And so um, I think it's going to be, I was just kind of talking about this this morning. It's going to be a, another big test for, for Willie Green. I think, um, it, I, I think he may be forced to do the same thing with Devontae Graham. He did, uh, he did last night because this, given the, the size that the, that the um, Clippers have up and down the roster, it's, it's, it's tough. It's gonna be a tough matchup for him, um, especially I think you, you cannot play a single minute of Graham and CJ McCollum together. I think that's a death sentence with with the number of number of the the, the the lengthy rangy kind of players I have, like you were saying. Is, um, but but 
but we'll see. I mean, um, so they get, they've got Norm, Norm Powell back. They've got obviously Covington, Paul Jersey, because they've just got a lot more offensive threats uh, for, from deep. And then most of these guys besides uh, Powell and, 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 you know, Reggie Jackson, they're, they're long too. So um, it's going to be tough to defend them. Uh, but um, the Pelicans have a lot of firepower on their own. And I, it's going to be a, a, a battle of attrition. I think it's, it, it should be a really fun game. Well, there's, there's two areas that concern me. And, and you kind of touched on one of them with Devontae Grant, is that one, the Clippers are absolutely relentless when it comes to mismatch hunting. Like when they were playing the Timberwolves and they knew Towns had four fouls or even three fouls uh, early on, just anytime they sensed an opportunity for weakness, they attacked it with force. They attacked it with precision and they just did not relent. And that's kind of who they've been um, as a postseason team, and that's kind of who they're going to continue to be. So when you had Devontae Graham and Jonas on the floor and CJ on the floor, that's too many uh, weak points that can't cover for each other, and they're going to put Devontae in a bunch of screens and and force CJ to be the low man to help or put Jonas in, in the pick and roll with Devontae, and it's just going to be a mess. So that's going to be one of the things where Willie Green 100% has to be um, cognizant of. And the second part is defensively, what they're going to do is they're going to put Zubac on Jackson Hayes in the corner. So he's a roamer. They're not going to defend it. They're going to Tony Allen him. And, and that effectively allows them to double Jonas on any kind of touch, any kind of role, any kind of um, just any offensive move that he's going to make without giving up like corner threes, because Jackson's a low volume corner shooter and he's just not going to do much. So the Pelicans are really going to have to work on their spacing. And if it's one of those things where the Pelicans can't get offense going because of uh, Zubac being a roamer and they're defending um, Jonas with Marcus Morris or, or Batum, then that's got to be a quick hook for Jackson, in my opinion, unfortunately, or a quick hook for Jonas. Um, don't care which one. I mean, obviously, Jonas is a, is, is a better player. So you want to avoid two big lineups in this game as much as possible, in my opinion. You got to put Trey in there. You got to put even Tony. This might be a Tony Snell game over a Devontae game. I, and, and, might be blasphemous to say, but the, the clips going uh, five out the way they do, not all five of their wings can can dribble penetrate. They really have uh, two big rim threats, uh, and they aren't huge rim threats. There's Norman Powell and uh, Paul, Paul George. Reggie Jackson can rim pressure as well, but again, it's not one of the, it's not a Dejounte Murray. It's not um, a De'Aaron Fox or a John Morant where they're continually gonna get to the rim, force you to collapse, put you in rotation. And so the Pelicans have to be cognizant of that. And I'd like to see the, the Pelicans do, do their switch thing too. I think they, they have the wings to kind of keep up with the Clippers wings as long as they're being smart about it. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's a lot of things to balance here, right? I mean, it's, it's having the size to, 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 you know, keep up and defend the, the Clippers. It's having enough creation on, on the floor if you're worried about going small, not to say that Devontae Graham's the best creator in the world, but he is a guy who can, you know, who can dribble. And besides, you know, besides CJ and Brandon Ingram, where's your creation really coming from? And obviously you're like, one of the things Willie Green did a great job of, of, of last night was staggering CJ and BI minutes with one of them on the floor pretty much at all times. Um, and so if you've got those two, you really, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I don't really want Najee being a creator in a game with the high stakes of this, even though he's shown that he can, he can do it in, in, in spurts. Um, so then you've got Jose, um, obviously, but, and, and so I, I do wonder how, how he's going to be utilized in this game, because on the one hand, he is, he is a little undersized as well, but um, I, I think there's definitely a, a, a role for him. 
And, and so it's going to be interesting to see how, how Willie balances all this. And, and everything it says to me is that this, again, I think these rotations have to be really tight uh, to, to manage, to make sure you've got the right players in at all times. I think you'll see a lot of Trey, Trey Murphy for the reasons you were, you were stating. Um, and, and so, I, I don't know. I mean, it, there, there are a couple of players I just really don't want to see out there in a game like this. And so um, it's going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be a chess match. And, and that's what's exciting is that, that all of these players, the coaching staff, the organization gets to be in this situation where sure. it's, there's nothing out in front of you. Uh, it's, it's do or die. And, and every possession matters. Every single possession is important. Every decision is important. And, you know, whether or not they pull it out, they're going to learn from this either way. And that's going to, that's going to be a valuable experience that they're going to carry into next season so I'm, I'm excited. Although, you know, obviously we, I would I'd be ecstatic if they make the playoffs and, and, you know, I'm going to full on hop on the Zion's going to come back for the playoffs bandwagon. If that happens. <laughs> Man. Um, what, what would you do? Uh, how would you deploy Herb Jones in this game? Uh, Cause that's one thing I've been, I, I asked that question last night on Twitter and the responses were interesting. I think it's pretty, pretty well split between, do you give him the Paul George assignment or do you think it's too risky because of foul trouble? And do you put him on Reggie and just let him kind of navigate through screens and then he ends up where he ends up. But what's, what, what would you do? How would you handle, uh, you know, the, the Herb Jones uh, assignment? I put him on Paul George. No question about it. I think, really? yeah, I think, I think Paul George is talented as he is. The one weakness that he's had in his career is going up against like really strong uh, and talented on ball defenders. You saw it with Drew. You saw how the Pelicans would put Drew on him and, and yep. you'd give Paul George fits. Um, Herb Jones earlier this year has given Paul George similar problems. And it's one of those things where, like, obviously when Paul George is hidden from three, no one can stop him because he has all of the moves. He has all the step backs and that's impossible to guard. But I think you can you can turn him over. You can speed him up if you're you're constantly have a guy in his face and you constantly are are not letting him get comfortable. And so I would I would put her on Paul George. And especially if Jackson's starting, he's got to be the roamer and, and they got to figure it out from there. But yeah, I, I want ball pressure on the best ball handler at all times. I, I think, I think my move would be to hedge. I, I would not, I would not start the game out that way. I I'm, I guess I'm just too risk averse. I, I think if the Pelicans were, um, were not, if they were huge underdogs in this game, like, you know, eight, eight points, nine points, I would say you've got to take the chance. You've got to throw Herb out there on Paul George to start. I think in this game, I'm I, I'm starting him on on Reggie, and I'm hope I'm you know watching his foul his fouls, and and, and then you, what you hope is that he's he only has one or, or two fouls at most by halftime, and then you can be a little bit more um, you know a little bit less sensitive to to who he's guarding and and, and the matchups he has. So, um, but you know, see, I, totally I, I think the Clippers are so smart that if you put him on Reggie, they're just going to put Reggie out of the action, and 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 he's a good spacer, and and Herb's all of Herb's good goodness is going to get nullified, and so. Um, they, like I said, they're going to, they're going to hunt the mismatch and they're going to go away from the strong stuff. And at the very least, what you want to do is like pre-switch where you put Herb on the guy that they're going to call the screen, uh, screen from that way he switches on to Paul George. But I, I, I just can't get behind the idea of like fouling Herb out with that before he's ever done anything. Essentially. I, I guess I, I just, I'm not like, I, I, I know. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to decide how much, how much I really care about, about Reggie Jackson, um, you know, 
leaving him open. I know he's been, he's gotten way better from, from distance throughout his careers. He was really good even like last season, the year before, but um, I, I don't know. I think you I, can put CJ, uh, you need a place to put CJ. And I think you can put CJ on Reggie and, and be fine with it. Um, I think that's a matchup, you know, and CJ's not like a tremendous defender, but he, in games like this, he's rotationally sound and he's executionally sound. And so I think you can put CJ and if they want to play one-on-one with CJ and Reggie, great. It's not Paul George that's killing me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the only thing would be then is like, okay, is, is, are they using Reggie to screen for Paul George? And then is CJ getting switched on to BG? And that's one of those things where, okay, they're going to do the thing where the guard has to like hedge and recover back to their person. Yeah. And that's where it gets a little bit dicey because um, Reggie is such a good shooter, but I, I'm fine with that. I, I think that's what I, I, I live with. Yeah, makes sense. Because I put I would put Bi on Batum, Jackson on Morris, hmm. um, or you could you might put I don't know. I think you put Jackson on Morris and then Jonas on and Zubac. I think you have to do that because yeah, yeah I, I that's that's got to be the the move. Lots of interesting decisions to be made for sure. Lots of lots of interesting decisions. So um, as we look ahead, regardless of what happens in the Clippers game, wh- where would you consider the season a success? And I guess what are your thoughts? Is this something that the Pelicans can replicate moving into next year or improve upon? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy with with where, where the season's ending up, win, win or lose t- tomorrow night. I think um, it, it's I, I compare it in a few ways. Um, the, I mean, the, the vibes and the chemistry of this team clearly better, but I feel like two years ago in Zion's rookie year, we had these types of feelings, and then you know, obviously, COVID came crashing down, and um, you know, the Pelicans were we all we were. I remember we were we were talking relentlessly about how the Pelicans are the easiest schedule in the league from here on out. They're going to make the play in or not play in, excuse me. They're going to make the playoffs. There was no play in at that point. Um, but they're, you know, they're going to make the playoffs and they were going to you know, be the eighth seed or whatever. And we're fighting with Memphis. And then obviously none of that ended up happening. Um, it, was a, it was a huge letdown to end the season. Um, this feels like the opposite of that, where, you know, even if they don't make the playoffs, it still was, a, it's been a clear upward trajectory and it will finish in an upward trajectory. Even if they lose this game to the Clippers in, in my mind, just because of where this team started, um, and, and how they've come together, how they've improved all the, the, the young talent that you've seen from the Pelicans this year. I mean, the, all three, all three rookies are playing major roles in these winner go home type games, which is fantastic. Um, and, and so you just got a lot of reasons for, for optimism, um, you know, moving into next season. And so, uh, I, I really do feel like the season is a success. Um, you know, especially when you consider, obviously they've done it the whole year without Zion. Uh, and with the, the injuries they've suffered, you know, how, how they persevered, how Willie Green's got these, this team believing and playing hard every single night. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a reason for optimism, optimism for sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. And I think the off season's basically going to revolve around what's the deal with Zion. Sure. And if you had to make a prediction, is he signing are the Pelicans offering that extension and is he signing it uh, this summer? And what does that extension look like? I, I think it's, I think it's yes. And yes. Um, I think the, the million dollar multi-million dollar question is what the extension does look like. And um, I, I can't even pretend to know <laughs> for a second what, 
where the the leverage points and negotiations end up. I mean, obviously, if if you know, we're us, we're 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 looking at you know, you want some injury protections in there. Does that happen? I, I think um, I, I I I liked your your point. I'm sure you'll go into it around. You don't if if you're you know if you're truly buying into us and the Pelicans, don't don't ask for a player option. Uh, maybe you do the you, you just do the five years straight uh, instead of any sort of injury protections. But I mean, that's risky. Um, but, but what's, um, you know, where do you, where do you think things end up? Yeah. So I, I really think the fair exchange here is just laying down the five-year maximum, uh, mass extension with the Roosevelt escalators, but basically saying we are all the way in, we cannot be more committed to you than giving you all of the years with all of the bonuses and everything, right? We can't possibly be more committed to you than that. We need you to show us some faith as well. And because we're not offering you injury protections um, or we're trying to force that upon you because we're not trying to say, Oh, it needs to be a team option or anything like that. We need you to not ask for that player option. And, and I think that's gotta be the exchange here. It's gotta be like, look, like you haven't been the healthiest person, um, but we believe in, in you getting healthy at least for the next five years. And we're willing to commit to that without any, um, without any outs, we all the way in, you know, like if, if, if anything, the Pelicans assume a lot of risk, if Zion um, continues to suffer injuries, he's on the books for five years, you know, that's, that's a lot of risk on the Pelicans part. So that would be my negotiation. And, and that's what I would try to do. I don't think you'd play games with that. And I essentially it, it then forces them to make a decision, right? It's like, okay, well, they're offered me the max. You're going to be the dude that turns out that max. And I think his agent's obviously going to ask for that player option. Um, but I just, I just don't see how like, they have any leg to stand on because the Pelicans can let this go to restricted free agency and they are coming off of a winning year. And it just makes him look like the bad guy, which is, I think, the last thing his camp wants to continue to happen. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that's fair. I think, and I, I think that the... Like I think Zion's camp would be hard pressed to turn that down because look, we're in an era of you know, very much of player empowerment. And if Zion really wanted out, regardless of whether and how many years he left on his contract, I feel like his camp will think they can make that happen. So it really comes down to the opportunity cost of that fifth year option, right? And, and so if you can, you know, if you can decline the option and then get a new extension, what that new extension is going to be worth. And so that's really, I think that's the big thing we're talking about here with that, with that player option versus straight five year, not as much about the commitment to the franchise, because I, I'm, I'm sure that they believe that he can, he can get out if he wants to. So um, I, you know, I think that's, and, and I think yeah. your point of, yeah, your point about restricted free agency also are, is very, very fair. I, um, I, you know, I don't think the, the Pelicans or, or Zion's camp would just not have nearly enough control over the situation to risk, you know, taking the qualifying offer at this point, given how, how much, how many games Zion's missed and what the next season could look like for him. So I, I, I'm with you. I think that's a, it's, if anything, it's, I think it's a concession from the Pelicans to a certain extent, not, you know, just saying we're going to forego the, any sort of uh, um, injury qualifications in the contract. Yeah. And I think the, the, you know, you kind of touched on this is like, okay, if you get him locked in for five years, if he's eventually even going to ask for a trade, the, the more years he has left on his contract only helps you both from a trade 
um, trade asset standpoint, because you'd be like, okay, we're trading this guy that's really, really good for all these years that he's locked in. Like that's that's a really worthwhile asset. At the times you kind of get screwed or when stars force their way out with one year left and you basically are, um, you know, you you're you have the barrel on you and you're you're forced to make decisions based off of your decreasing leverage. And and in this case, you have five years and you look at what Philadelphia did with Ben Simmons. He asked his way out. They're like, yeah, oh, okay, cool. We're going to sit around until we get the deal that we want. And, and then we're going to, meanwhile, ask you to play. And if you don't, we're going to find you. And the only reason they were able to do that is because he had so many years left on his, his contract. So when people say like, oh, well, guys like Ben Simmons, they asked out the first year. Okay, great. But the only reason Philadelphia had any recourse was because of the years left on his contract. So I think, I think having those five years is huge. It's a, it's a big win for the Pelicans if they can pull that off. Any any other? Uh, well, never mind. We'll get to it later. <laughs> I'm not going to go jumping into off season stuff quite yet. Yeah. No, no, no. We're not talking about the off season yet, Mason. We're still in the season. We're going post season. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. No, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm very happy for for everyone. Uh, just excited that the Pelicans are finally playing good basketball. Excited that the Pelicans can play good basketball and still get a good lottery pick. And good time, good time to be a Pelicans fan. It's a, um, I, you could say this was this was rewarding. I would say that. <laughs> Anyways, folks, I appreciate y'all listening. What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.